Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Week 47 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Man, if you don't think everything changed last week, you have not been paying attention. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the votes. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. Ah, what a week, America. What a week. Hey, today's show is brought to you by Warby Parker. Go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han for a special offer. Forgot to do that in the cold open, so here it is. (laughs) Man, I'm just, uh, I'm a little, little delirious about the speed of change. In the past, uh, I don't know, seven days, five days. I mean, you guys all heard me talk on Tuesday. Um, Since then, the coronavirus that I might have briefly mentioned on Tuesday took on a life of its own here in the United States of America, causing the markets to be on a wild ride and people to be kind of panicked. I went to the store on... Sunday or Saturday, I, I go to the big, you know, warehouse store every other week. And uh, I was shocked that they were out of stuff. They're never out of stuff on Saturday. You, know, you go there on Sunday, sometimes they're out of stuff. Uh, but on Saturday, the place was mobbed. I think everybody thinks that they're about to be quarantined in their home for a couple of weeks. And they wanted to stock up on, you know, bulk pasta and sauce and stuff so that they I get it people are afraid I don't think you should be afraid 
Um, I think you should be cautious. I think that maybe the handshake might be coming to an end in this country, uh, at least for a couple of months till we get this under control. I think that if you're sick, you should stay home. And I think if you're the president of the United States, you should be formulating a plan and maybe putting a guy who doesn't believe in science in charge of this wasn't the best idea. I mean, the markets did fall 1,200 points the day after your press conference, Mr. President. And, and you know, I, I, I generally don't believe the president has much to do with the stock market. But since this president has made the stock market rise part of his reason for being, I think that we need to include the stock market in part of our analysis of him. And now I know that on Monday it rose and maybe it's expected to rise more today. But uh, the bottom line is this. It dropped last week because of this president's failure to lead, at least on Thursday. You know, you could say that he's not responsible for Monday and Tuesday if you want to be logical about it, but this guy's not logical, so why should we be logical, right? Blame him. He takes credit when it goes up. He gets the blame when it goes down. How about that? And on Thursday, for sure, after his crazed, lunatic-style press conference where he basically blamed Democrats, and then he goes out on uh, the next day, I think it was Friday, and called it a hoax. I, I, I'm sorry, America. Keep, take a deep look at this guy now. And I, I, I felt things changed this week, even with some conservative friends. And... I think they're questioning whether or not they want to see this guy at the helm of the ship in the middle of a crisis. Now, I've been saying that for a long time. Uh, I think most progressives believe this guy shouldn't be at the helm of any ship. But, you know, there are some conservatives. I, I like to call them 401k conservatives who are really happy about their 401ks and could care less about all the other stuff that this guy does. Don't even notice it sometimes. Um. I think they took notice this week, not just because their 401ks took hit, but because, you know, they were asking, answering questions from their kids about their health and safety. And um, they're hard conversations to have. And this president doesn't make us feel secure. I'm sorry. Uh, if you're sleeping well at night, thinking that if this pandemic gets, you know, really out of hand, that this is the guy steering the ship, I think that... Um, I, I think you got bigger problems than the pandemic. Seriously, uh, honestly, I think you do. But it is, uh, it, you know, I, I felt the mood of the country shift this week. And it's funny because I, I did a lot of TV. I did TV Thursday night. I did TV on Saturday night. Um, and they wanted to point to a poll that came out on Monday. I don't think anything that happened on Monday matters. I think polls that uh, were taken on Monday about the president's approval don't matter today. I I also think, and you know, we're going to talk about the Democratic primary uh, a little bit. It's Super Tuesday as this is coming out. Uh, some of you listen to this. Uh, you know, I get a lot of listeners on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So sorry, I'm going to try to keep this uh, as high level as possible. But uh, um, the election over the weekend in South Carolina, the primary election, which Joe Biden dominated, and now. You know, some people have been saying, well, Bernie dominated Nevada. Um, Nevada's a caucus. I, I'm sorry. I don't count caucus. 
because I think regular people don't want to go to a caucus. It just they, they just don't want to do it. And that doesn't take anything away from his organizational skills because you really do need to be an organizer to win a caucus. Um, but the amount of people who voted in South Carolina dwarfed the amount of people who voted in Nevada. Dwarfed it. And Joe Biden won in every category. Young, old, black, white, didn't matter, moderate. The only thing, I, I think even one with liberals, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the number, but I, if he didn't win with liberals, people who called themselves liberals, he was close there. He dominated across the board in South Carolina. And, and that's a big win. Now, look, I'm not endorsing Joe Biden like Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar did on Monday. But uh, there seems to be a consolidation around him. And I don't know what happens tonight. When we start getting the results of Super Tuesday, it's going to take a couple days to figure out what happened in California. California is a mail-in state. Um, but it's, uh, it, it is clear to me that when the mood of the country changed and then Jim Clyburn endorsed uh, Joe Biden, that it seemed to me that some of the other non-Bernie candidates, and, and, and this is not taking anything away from Bernie, this is not me endorsing Biden, kind of fell away. Now, the Bernie group is going to be there for Bernie, right? Bernie Bernie is a movement. It's not just about Bernie. It's a movement of people and they believe in Bernie and they believe in what he says and they are not falling away. But people who are just in the I want to beat Trump camp, not you know in any movement for Bernie, they started taking a, a real close look at who could, who could win and who can actually lead the country in. And they chose Joe Biden on Saturday. And now we'll see what happens on Super Tuesday. Bernie is clearly in the best position going into Super Tuesday. He's well-funded. He's well-organized. He's competing in every state. Joe Biden is not, but he's got a massive bump coming out. And with a bunch of people dropping out of the race, you had Steyer, uh, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar all dropping out. Um, I think you're going to see a viable Biden in pretty pretty much every state. Uh, I don't think you're going to see Bernie with much of a lead coming out of Super Tuesday. He'll have a lead, I think. Uh, the question is, you know, how much does Bloomberg take? How much does Warren take? Uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of days counting the vote. I might even decide to throw up another podcast uh, later in the week. I know I'm on Thursday night. I'm on the radio. Um, and uh, some of you are, are listening to me on the radio. If you're in San Francisco... Uh, if you're in Orlando, if you're in New York, if you're in Wisconsin, anywhere in Wisconsin, the entire state, I'm on in four on four stations in Wisconsin. Um, I'm on in Gainesville. I think I'm getting a station in West Palm Beach uh, very soon. So there's a there's a growing number of places you could hear me. Um, you know, if you go to my Twitter feed, maybe I'll uh, show you how you could stream it. You could definitely stream the KKS KKSF feed, which is on um, 7 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday. Um, my show is live at 8 p.m. on the East Coast and LI News Radio streams it. So think about streaming that, but maybe I'll put it up another podcast. I don't know. I love, I love talking to you. I love doing this podcast. It's been a lot of fun. We are growing every week. We are in week 46. Um, you know, I think I'm going to do, um, I'm going to do till week 52. Then I'm going to take a break maybe for a week because I'm going to, I'm going to Paris at least I think I'm going to Paris, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. And then I'll launch season two uh, when I get back from Paris. But um, 
And, you know, that's that brings me to another, you know, point here with this coronavirus. I mean, everybody's freaked out. I'm a little freaked out. I'm not freaked. I'm not worried about getting the coronavirus. I don't think that um, I'm going to get it. I, I, I don't think if I get it, I'm going to be one of the 2% that it kills. I just, I'm a healthy adult. Uh, my kids are old enough that they're that they're not in that infant range. Um, you know, my wife is healthy. Um, you know, maybe we get it and, and we have to deal with it. I'm more concerned about being in a hotel in Paris and having somebody in the hotel get it and then them locking down the entire hotel and I'm stuck in a hotel room, just in a room for 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 14 days with my my wife and my two daughters. That they will kill me. I think I'll be I'll be dead. <laughs> it won't be. It wouldn't be pretty. I mean, first of all, we won't even be able to watch TV. I mean, the TV's gonna be in French. I, mean, I don't speak French. I mean, we're going to London for a couple of days too on this trip. So maybe if we get locked down in London, at least we could watch London English TV in English. <laughs> we're in London, but it 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 is that's the scary thing to me. I called my travel agent and said, try to get me a deal. You know, we had booked this trip back in December, so um, you know maybe there's a deal to be had. Now that everybody's canceling their flights and the flights haven't come down yet, but the hotels in London have come down and I'm wondering why I think that might have to more to do with Brexit than anything else, because now people aren't coming to London um, as freely from the rest of Europe. But Paris is still expensive and uh, the plane tickets haven't come down. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe that they they can upgrade me if people start dropping out. But it, it people are making these decisions now. People are having to have this conversation. People are canceling vacations. Companies are barring uh, employees from traveling for business abroad. Um, it is a absolute nightmare. And I don't think the guidance we're getting from the president is good. Now, I heard Dr. Fauci talking. Uh, he seems to be a steady hand at the wheel. And I think that he needs to be empowered to be the main communicator here. I think seeing Mike Pence on the Sunday shows didn't do us any favors. Um, I, I just want to know we have a plan. And I'm on the board of a university that has a hospital. And, you know, listening to the officials at that hospital talk, uh, which they did on Monday, I was concerned. Concerned that we don't have enough tests, that we're not getting testing. I'm wondering if the president is encouraging CDC and the NIH to slow roll out the tests so that the numbers don't get reported appropriately, but that makes for it more likely that we'll have bigger numbers down. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know, I mean, that's just like something that pops into my head. I don't know if that's true. Don't quote me. I wouldn't put it past this guy, but I, I don't see any evidence of that. Having talked to healthcare professionals, I pressed them when uh, they reported on this earlier in the week. But I don't know that we are prepared for this. I know we don't have a president that cares about anything else but himself. He is more concerned about the stock market and his chances of reelection than fixing this problem. Or it's not even dealing with this crisis. And I think that's the point we need to be making to our conservative friends right now. We are now in a crisis. How comfortable do you really feel? Do you really feel comfortable that this is the guy that's in charge? What did he do on Sunday? Nobody knows where he was Sunday. He's out on Monday night giving a rally because, you know, it's Super Tuesday and he doesn't want to be the only one. He doesn't want to be the only one who 
Uh, he doesn't want to be. Uh, he doesn't want the, the conversation not to include him. Look at me, like fumbling over my words. He wants to make sure he's part of the conversation on Super Tuesday and tonight. And you know, it's it's a it's amazing to me. It's just amazing to me how thin-skinned and how much this guy needs attention when we're in the middle of this crisis when he should be reassuring the nation, but he's going to go out and be as partisan as he can be to his base. Now, I get it. Come the fall, he's got a campaign, maybe even come the summer. He's got a campaign. He's running for president. I, I fully understand that, but it is March. It is March. You do not have a primary. In fact, the Republican Party basically canceled their primary because they didn't want you to have to worry about it because you're a whiny little cur. So to go to North Carolina and scream and yell and hold a rally and call Democrats, you know, bad things. You know, if you really, if you really want to move past this partisanship and have everybody in the nation come together and fight. To, against this vaccine, it starts with you, Mr. President. It starts with you telling, like Don, you know, Don Jr. and all of the people who work for you, the Vice President especially, to stop calling the Democratic Party the Democrat Party. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I wish somebody would explain this to me. I tried to pin Frank Luntz down on it because I assume he came up with it. But really, it's hard to take government officials seriously when they've got this inside joke that isn't even good. And they all, every conservative in America now is on board with it. They don't call the Democratic Party the Democratic Party. They call it the Democrat Party. Like there's only one of us. I mean, how can you take them seriously when they're, you know, elected officials going on national television and using some sort of like poke? I mean, I don't, I, I mean, it's not like, I don't know if I'd call it a slur. It's like a poke. It's like, I got to poke you. I got to poke you. You're president of the United States. You're the vice president of the United States. You're the majority leader of the United States Senate. You are a member of the cabinet and you're saying Democrat party. You're a senior aide to the president. You listen for that. It's some weird slur. I call it their war on grammar. Now I know that the conservatives have a war on science. I mean, Mike Pence, Exhibit A, now in charge of the response here, even though he screwed up the AIDS crisis when he was governor of Indiana, every other state was going down. Mike Pence decided to prey on it and more people got AIDS. He eventually gave in and had a needle exchange. Faith without works is dead, Mike. Faith without works is dead. But I, I know they have a war on science. They don't want people to think about science, like global warming, medical science. But a war on grammar? What's their What's their problem with using proper grammar? I mean, calling it the Democrat Party isn't even proper grammar. It's the Democratic Party. And if they can't say Democratic Party... I mean, you know, if you're some hack, if you're like Rush Limbaugh and you want to use that in your act... And it is an act, America, a complete and total act. Rush, Rush Limbaugh called it a hoax, too. It wasn't just Trump. Trump was basically echoing Limbaugh. Yes, I know. He's dying. He's dying. I'm going to get all these uh, complaints that Rush is dying, and you're saying bad things about Rush. I want I want to do it on my radio show. When I want to do it on my podcast. I guess we're all, we're all friends here for the most part. Um, 
But when I do it on my radio show, I get tons of texts and emails and letters to the station about how, how dare you? He's dying. Uh, he's still on the radio. He still has an opinion and it's still wrong. He's still a pig. I'm sorry. But if you're Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or some other infotainment person and you want to use the Democrat party because you think it's funny or you think it's some evil slur, go ahead and do it. But if you are an elected official or an appointed official in this country and you go on national television and you're using Democrat Party instead of the Democratic Party or Democrats, then, you know, I can't take you seriously anymore. I really can't. And the nation shouldn't. And it is, it's just ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's not even funny. It doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. I don't think people even know you're doing it. I mean, I know Because I'm on conservative media all the time. So I've lived through this whole thing that they've been doing for the past, you know, I mean, they've been doing this for like seven years. It's now caught on to a point where elected officials are doing it because let's face it, the Republican Party basically is conservative media now. That's what they are. They all hope to have shows. I mean, Congressman Getz wants to have a show on Fox. I think he'd rather have a show on Fox than be a congressman. I mean, why have to, why deal with the constituents issues? Why have to solve this crisis of the coronavirus? No, I think he'd rather have a show, talk about it, blame Democrats for it, or blame Democrat for it. I mean, these guys are ridiculous. Next time you hear somebody say that, catch it, call them out on it. Say, what's the matter? You don't, I know you don't like science, but you don't like grammar either. Give me a break. Grammar, grammar two, not either. And that's two T-O-O. I'm not on a war with grammar, even if I might sound like it sometimes. Hey, by the way, I got to tell you about Warby Parker. You know, Warby Parker has a great deal for friends of the pod. You go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han, and you could try five pairs for five days at home. No risk at all. $95 per pair. Okay. That's with prescription lenses. And they have a wide variety of styles to choose from. WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. You go there. You, you, you check them out. They come to your house they, in the mail. They come to, nobody's going to bring them to your house. They're going to be mailed to your house. I guess they'll be brought by your UPS or FedEx person or United States Postal Service. And you could try them on at home. You try them on. You try them on with different outfits. You ask your wife or significant other about it. Uh, your husband. Uh, your friends, your kids, your coworkers, what do you think? You you see how they feel? If you don't like them, you send them back. No fuss, no muss. And you know what else is great about Warby Parker? For every pair of glasses you buy, they donate a pair to somebody in need. And that's important because it's hard to get ahead in this world if you can't see. If you can't read because you can't see, that's a big problem. So go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han for this special offer. You'll be glad you did. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be back with Ellis Hennigan. Uh, We talked about the coronavirus last week, and I'm going to play that for you next, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. So stay where you're at. I'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. How you doing, Ellis? Uh, I'm doing good because I'm laughing at the notion of that the kid with a podcast. You know they went to get that eye roll. Yeah. Get that eye roll. Well, it's funny because I get yeah. a lot. I had a few people say to me, uh, "What's this podcast thing you're doing?" Oh, I go, "What do you?" I go, "What do you mean? What's this?" And they were like people my own age. Yeah, I, mean, know, I know people who still who still think that about cell phones. I don't know if these things are going to hang around. I don't want to jump on every train. Yeah, right. I have to jump on it. You've got an iPhone? What? <laughs> I go, yeah, it's the, the it's the 11th edition or maybe the 13th edition because I got so many E's and C's and B's. Yeah. But it's it's uh, uh yeah, I mean it, it, it I've been doing a podcast now for almost a year and um I like it. I like doing it. It's it's a little different than doing a radio show because on the radio show you take calls. Uh, and I do the podcast at home, uh, and it's, yeah, listen, we need to be everywhere. You know, the audience is everywhere now. You can't discriminate. It's got to be in print on TV, on the radio, on yeah. the podcast, on the internet. This is, this is the new world. Get used to it. I got to start writing more, man. That's the one thing you are, uh, prolific at. I mean, you are just, you know, that's what you've done most of your career. And I used to write a lot more than I do now. And I don't write enough anymore. Yeah. You know what the greatest thing is? It's not writing, it's having written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> writing is still hard. So how's your health? Are you feeling respiratory distress? Uh, I, your eyes watery? I got to check. I feel fine. I, you know, and I'm a little concerned because I've got a trip planned to Paris and London in April. And I'm not concerned about getting the coronavirus, right? I mean, my wife and my kids, we're all healthy in that age where it won't yeah. kill you. Um I am concerned about being quarantined in a hotel room for four days with my <laughs> wife and children. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you know, you know, if you return to the States and they say you need to quarantine you, it's not going to be in a really nice hotel. I can promise Right. Well, that. they might quarantine me in London or in Paris. Like I might get stuck in a hotel room there. Like that's what I worry about. I think if I so, made so- it back to the U.S., they'd quarantine me in my house, which I could live with. You know, well, I, I guess that's right. That beats the motel on Staten Island. Right, but, right, right, yeah. right. It would be bad. So, what do you what do you make of this hysteria that we're seeing right now? Well, I, I you know what, I'm not sure it's wrong. I mean, we, we, we've got no reliable guideposts at this point, right? And, and I really do blame the president. Yeah. So we've been hearing from him that there's nothing to worry about. Uh, uh, last night it was, what was it, 15 people, and it's going to certainly go down to five, and the whole thing will be cured with the first hint of spring. Right. And I think his own, he didn't get through the press avail before his own experts, to the extent that they were experts right. joining him uh, in the briefing room yesterday, were contradicting that. So I think this thing is real. I think that um, we don't know how bad it's going to be. We do need a genuine uh, plan, and I want experts, the best medical experts we've got. I want them in charge, not a president or a vice president, even worse, who are nervous about a falling stock market, a re-election. That's really his whole, that's his whole problem right now. The reason why he came out yesterday was because the stock market had nothing to do with the health crisis. It's amazing to me. And 
And it's, I mean, listen, it's not trivial. I mean, I was hoping to retire by the time I was 100 or 102. Now it looks like it's going to be about 117, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I got, I got all my retirement in the stock market, and it's, uh, you know, I'm not, re- I'm not going anywhere for at least 10 years anyway. But uh, it's, it's crazy. So let's see, let's see if we can agree on a couple of principles here. And, and one, one of them is the one I already stated that yes, this is legit, something we need to be worried about, and we ought to rely upon our top medical experts to guide us through. Fair enough. Absolutely. So what we are getting instead in Vice President Pence yeah. is a man who who literally – this is almost hard to say, but he literally does not believe in science. I, I mean you've seen the same stuff that I have. Yeah, right? yeah the guy, the guy is, doesn't believe in evolution, and a virus <laughs> by its definition evolves every couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> and so and it's, it's, it's whatever. You pick a disease. He has a, an outmoded view of it. We, we've dug up op-eds where he says that cigarettes uh, should not be blamed for cancer. He yep. doubts the effectiveness of condoms against AIDS. He, right. He doesn't believe that global warming is a, is a genuine HIV thing. cases um, doubled under his watch in Indiana. Right. And so, so this is the guy that you put in charge of this. Right. It just, I mean, it, it, it does not bespeak... Serious reliance no. on the greatest medical and scientific minds in our country. No, it, it's scary, and I, and I think that's the reason why the market fell twelve fell twelve hundred points today. You would think that the but president would come out, he'd calm the market, the market would stabilize. He didn't. Yeah, you know, I just think again, and I, I don't need to take apart uh, Vice President Pence. I'm sure he has his 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 attributes, but I don't want a faith healer in charge of the response. No, I don't either, and and it's. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm not going to fault anybody if they want to pray over something, but the guy in charge of leading the response needs to be spending time in the weeds of the science, and a guy who doesn't believe in science is absolutely the wrong guy for that. Right, and now the other character, and it's a little hard, we don't really know who's in charge because there's a little tussle going on between Pence and Alex Azar, the, the, the health secretary. Right. A pharma, pharma, pharmaceutical lobbyist, incidentally, right? Right, right. Um... You know, he's been his position is not clear. The president seems to love him one day, not the next day. Oh, boy, did you see though my home state senator down in Louisiana? I did. Kennedy taking apart the homeland. Uh, the acting security secretary. The acting homeland oh, security God. secretary. Yeah, it took him apart. Oh, he tore him, tore him to shreds. And it it, was, I'm it very, very seldom that I'm singing the praises of Senator Kennedy. Well, it's man, funny when Senator when Senator Kennedy's good, he's really good. And when he's bad, he's really bad. This isn't the first Trump appointee he's taken apart. There was some judge that they appointed that didn't know, you know, the basic, he didn't know what Article 3 of the Constitution was. So, and he was being appointed to an Article 3 court. So it, it's, a, it's, it's amazing to me, uh, though, that the president, and by the way, I don't think that if this crisis gets bad, he's going to get full faith and loyalty from all the Republicans in this country because their constituents are going to start to lose their minds over this. Yeah, it's it's interesting how this has played. It's, it's one of the few issues, and, and maybe you could say that it really maybe is the first genuine crisis of the yeah. Trump administration, something that was unexpected, that no one was planned for. And, you know, God, we can go back and dig up all these comments of cutting the, the budget at the, at the Centers for Disease Control, dissing the people at the NIH, disbanding the 
the uh, virus task force. You know, there's a whole series of things that are not going to look so good if this thing turns out to be something. Yeah, I mean, this is this is that's the that's the thing, right? We have been praying that we don't have a crisis because we nobody thinks this guy can handle a crisis. Now we have one. And I think, you know, and, and I want to talk more about this in the next segment because now I'm on a network clock and I'm going to run out of time in like a minute. But I think this leads into this presidential conversation, right? Now, I don't want to use a crisis like this to challenge, you know, the president. I'm, I'm hoping that he's successful and uh, they find a solution to this problem. That said, he is willfully unprepared for this because of actions he's taken as president. And that's something voters need to be aware of and need to make their decisions going forward based on. No, that, that's exactly right. and, and it elevates the question among the Democrats who would like to challenge him, which of you guys is most capable of doing this? It makes that question more important. Yeah, yeah. Who's ready to be president now? Who's ready to step into a crisis now? I mean, if this really is a crisis, it's not going to be done by the end of the year. It's going to be a crisis <laughs> for a while. <laughs> and somebody's going to think that's right. Yeah. So it is. It is a. It is an. It is a dire situation we're in. And you know, I hear these Republicans are already getting defensive. Oh, don't use this crisis against the president in his election. What else are we supposed to judge him? This is this is what you judge a president on. You judge him oh. on how he handles these situations. Is he prepared for it? I don't think he is. It's why we have a president, Chris. So that's my interview with Ellis. <laughs> He's great. There was more to that interview. We did another like 10 minutes or so, but it was all about South Carolina. South Carolina's past. So I'm going to leave it at that. But I will be back with more, including my thoughts on what Obama should be doing in this crisis. Stay where you are. You don't want to miss that. I'll be right back. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Barack Obama, my uh, my favorite president of my lifetime. I mean, George Washington. We talked about this last week. He was President's Week, right? George Washington and Abe Lincoln and FDR. You know, we could fight about it. Teddy Roosevelt. But, oh, oh, but Obama, since I've been alive, uh, you know, uh, I love him. And I think most Democrats do. And a lot of conservatives want to say, look at Obama. He's not even endorsing Joe Biden. Well, what if Joe Biden loses? Right? I mean, Joe Biden might not be the nominee. Bernie Sanders might be the nominee. Mike Bloomberg could be the nominee. Somebody we're not even thinking about if it's an open convention can be the nominee. There's going to be a nominee. And there is no certainty over who that person is. And at some point... Someone will need to unite the party. Someone will need to bring people together. Someone might need to convince people to vote for one of the other nominees at the convention. I mean, I I, uh, compared Obama to Hamilton in the election of 1800. When Hamilton threw his support to Jefferson, it, it killed Burr, right? It killed Adams. And somebody is going to have to be the grown-up that says, okay, everybody, there's a bigger problem than these minor issues between us. I've been talking about this for weeks now. I, I think unity is more important than whoever's at the top of the ticket. And a lot of my friends on both the left wing of the party and the center wing of the party, because we really don't have a right wing in this party, 
it's the center left and the left left, have been on me for it. But I truly believe that. I think Trump is beatable if we unite and everybody comes out and votes and nobody pouts because their person didn't get it, pouts because somebody wants to have a uh, Medicare for all versus uh, Medicare for all who wants it. No, somebody is going to have to, there's going to have to be a huge presence to bring everybody together. And that's Barack Obama. And maybe Michelle Obama winds up on the ticket. Whoever the nominee is. But that's Obama's role. Don't don't buy into this conservative thought that Obama doesn't like Biden because he hasn't endorsed Biden. No, Obama needs to lead the party at some point. He needs to help unite the party. By the way, that's why I haven't endorsed anybody. Because I want to be part of that unification. I want to be part of the, hey, you know what? This is what I this is what I think. This is how we got to get out. We all have to come together and you can't be that person. And I'm going to support whoever the nominee is. And I don't want anybody using anything I've said about any of the nominees against them in the general election. Or using it against me when I debate in the general election, more likely. I don't think it, I don't think I'm winding up in a campaign ad, but I will be on television and the radio and somebody might want to bring up a clip of me saying something about Biden or Bernie. And there are things that I've said about both of them that probably could be brought up. I mean, I, I've said, I've been very clear here that I would have liked somebody from a younger generation, a Gen Xer. But that's Obama's role. Obama's role is to bring the party together. And if there is a contested convention, he's the guy that's got to make the deal, right? He's the guy that's got to come in and make the deal. I don't know who that deal is going to be for, but he's going to have to seal that deal and he's going to have to help unite the party because the, a divided party cannot win in November. There's no doubt in my mind that if we're divided, Trump gets another term. If we're united, we win. And don't buy into anybody who says that they are never going to vote for whoever the other person is. I don't, I don't, I look, I think there's some people like that, but I don't think there's a lot of people like that. And I, and that should not sway your vote one way or the other. We can unite and we can win. This president is ill-equipped for the job. And I think this coronavirus is shining a bright light on that. And I'm not happy about it. Okay. I don't want you to think for a second I'm rooting for this coronavirus. I'm not. I'm not rooting for the stock market to collapse. I'm not. I'd rather it not. I'd rather coronavirus not take any more lives than it already has in this country or anywhere in the world for that matter. But it's shining a bright light on his failure to prepare. It's shining a bright light on his governing philosophy of having a government that's basically vacant of anybody of real skill, especially in the White House. So he's, get, he, he's being exposed for his inability to actually govern. Forget about all the entertainment value he brings you, America. He's not governing. And your safety is now jeopardized because of that. And that's a problem. It's a real, real problem. So if there's somebody out there that says Bernie can't win or Joe can't win or Bloomberg can't win or, or even Warren, who's still in it, can't win, I'm sorry. Take a close look at the guy who's in the Oval Office who we all said couldn't win and he did win. 
and take a close look at the problems he has in front of him right now, which are big for the first time, and he needs to lead on, and he's not. In fact, I think he set Mike Pence up to be thrown under the bus so that he can nominate Nikki Haley or somebody like Nikki Haley as his running mate. I don't think I don't think Mike Pence is going to be a running mate. I've said that for a long time. Well, this is a problem for him. Things have changed in the last week, America, since the last time, if, if you only hear me on this podcast, since the last time I spoke with you, the world has changed. The political landscape has changed. His numbers have begun, begun to fall even, you know, back to where they were before impeachment, and they will fall even lower as this crisis progresses, and he continues to show that it's all about him, that he's worried about his election, that he's worried about how people perceive him, and he's not worried about getting the job done. Where are the tests, Mr. President? Why aren't you pushing the CDC to get those tests out to the health departments across this country, making it easy? Why can South Korea test thousands of people and we have hundreds of people who've been tested? That's not right. That's going to make this virus expand because people don't even know they have it. And that's a problem, and that's on you. Am I rooting for his failure in this crisis? No, I am not. His failure is our nation's failure. I don't want my kids or your kids or your grandparents or any of us to be hurt by this. And as as Dr. Fauci said, you, you could be a perfectly healthy person and die from this. It happens. It's rare, extremely rare, but it does happen. No, this is a crisis that needs to be led, that needs leadership. It begs for leadership. And the first thing he did was basically try to get out of the room. He had a reset press conference on Saturday. That may have been better. He looked like he was, you know, tased before he went in there. He was just so, like, calm. But we're not going to get a second chance at this, America. He gets a second chance at that press conference, but we don't get a second chance at fighting this, especially if people who get infected by it. So uh, let's all hope he succeeds, but look at what he's doing. Keep an eye on it. It's not working well. He's not showing real leadership. He's showing his thin-skinned nature and how it all has to be about him. He continues to rant about Democrats in press conferences in the White House. I Look, I really, I don't care if he rants about Democrats when he's out on the campaign trail. That's his job. Let him do that. But when you're behind the podium in the White House, Mr. President, you do not talk politics. But you can't help yourself. Which is why we're, why America is on edge right now. And why anyone can win if the if everybody in this country who is tired of what we've seen unites behind whoever the Democratic nominee is, whether it's Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, or anybody else. So I'm going to be part of that. Not as big a part as I think Obama's going to be, but Obama needs to be part of uniting this party and helping to unite this nation. All right, I got to remind you, as always, to seek the truth question everyone and everything America even me seek the truth I know it's out there and I know you'll find it and I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see I'm Chris Hahn thanks for listening to the aggressive progressive podcast
Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.